Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Come on. I can see by the size of the crowd that word circulated that I was not preaching this morning. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Pam. Hey, if we got a good crowd, we'll probably, uh, we got some extra chairs. Don't let the size of the crowd discourage you from coming back next week. As a matter of fact, we strongly encourage that you come back next week, and we'll sit some more chairs out if we need it. Uh, I want to uh, introduce you to a good friend of mine uh, named Derek Popham. Derek, would you come on up? Oh, he's already up. You already see that? Up. That's slick, wasn't it, huh? How we got this coordinated? That's it. And uh, Derek and his wife, Michelle, and their two sons started attending Golden Corner Church about a year and a half ago. And uh, Derek served in the Marines for better than 15 years. Right. And, uh, yeah, hoorah. And, uh, Thank you. He currently works with uh, Wounded Warrior Solutions. Upstate Warrior Solutions. Upstate yeah. Warrior Solutions. Just I'm sorry. Upstate. Upstate, <laughs> all right. And uh, they minister to veterans. And he is, uh, he's been studying uh, at Liberty University and is entering the ministry. And I wanted him to speak today to us. And when he came a year and a half ago, he was a 120-pound weakling. And uh, he and I started working out together. And uh, I got to say, there, our regiment is doing him wonders, but it's pretty near. It's about to kill me. So uh, <laughs> it's right. yours, brother. <laughs> Thank you. So I'll go ahead and let you know, uh, the 9 o'clock crowd was not as big, and I, last, I stayed up here about 10 minutes. So uh, you guys should be out of here in five to six minutes with this size of crowd we got right now. So I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to thank Ronnie. I, I failed to do that in the first service, and I, I thought about it inside. I just want to thank him. Uh, I want to thank the church, and I want to thank Ronnie for all the time he's invested in me and, and some of the other men here in the church. And uh, uh, he's really been meeting with us for quite a while now. We were meeting once a week and going through uh, just what he thought was a good service plan, you know, outline. And, you know, a lot of times in school you learn a lot of information, but they don't uh, teach you how to, how to apply it all as well sometimes. And Ronnie's been a, a huge help for me, and he's been a, a true blessing in my life and really helped me out tremendously. So I wanted to thank him and, uh, and really just kind of put a focus on what he does every week up here. If you attend here, you realize how good of a service we get every week and week in and week out. And it's really uh, very difficult. It's very difficult to prepare and, and get up here and do those sorts of things. So I'm just, you know, having getting up here and, and, and preaching at a couple other churches, it's really brought a new perspective to me on what he does week in and week out. So I just wanted to thank him and uh, tell him thanks publicly. I've told him thanks in private, but I wanted to thank him publicly too. So I want to talk to you this morning uh, about preparing for a battle. I'm going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. But before we do, uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in our country. You know, we've been at war now since 2003. That's over 10 years, and that's kind of hard to believe if you think about it. You know, I was looking uh, with 9-11 just passing, was watching a bunch of stuff the other day on the news and uh, just kind of putting my mind back in that perspective and what's, what's happened over the past 10 years and, and really, really blew my mind to even think about that it. it's been that long, 2003, you know, when we went over into uh, Iraq for the first time or for the second time but in, in this, this current conflict. You know, and, and so I started thinking and, and, and just really reflecting on that moment and thought about, you know, all the people that have served. And, you know, we've, we've lost thousands of lives since then. Uh, thousands of men and women have went over there and, and given the ultimate sacrifice uh, for this country over there. And we've uh, both physically and mentally over 100,000 have been injured. 
Uh, one of the big things with this conflict, most people don't realize, you see a lot of stuff with, with wounded warriors and people coming back and wounded men, uh, servicemen and women is, you know, it's, it's not that uh, this war is any worse or any harder or any easier than any of the other ones. It's just that uh, response on the battlefield and, and our medicine and everything's gotten so much better that we're saving a lot more lives and we've got a lot more veterans coming back home now. But we've had well over 100,000 injuries, uh, some pretty severe uh, of veterans coming back. And, you know, I started thinking about World War II and I looked up some numbers and, you know, there's over uh, 405,399 Americans lost their lives in, in World War II. Uh, it was another 36,516 in Korea, and there were 58,209 in Vietnam, and, and currently over 2.5 million have served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I, I was thinking about that, you know, and all these men and women have one thing in common, and they had prepared for the battle that they went to. They had prepared for a war. They prepared for the fight. They spent a lot of time with each other and a lot of time in preparation before they were allowed to go and fight in these conflicts. And I'll tell you, if you could ask each and every one of them, and I can speak from experience, that's never, there's never enough time to truly prepare for what you face when you go in to those types of situations. You know, like Ronnie said, I, I spent over 15 years in the Marine Corps, and early on, there wasn't a whole lot going on. We, didn't, uh, we weren't in any big conflicts or any little, you know, large-scale wars. We had some small things in Kosovo and Bosnia and places like that where people were going, but, but nothing major. So we spent a lot of time training, and that's really all we did was train. Uh, we went to California for, for desert warfare training and mountain warfare. Uh, went over to Japan for jungle warfare. You know, and, and, and in these different groups, you know, what you're doing is you just really, you're trying to think of every situation you can and, and every opportunity that may come up where you're in a conflict. So in the desert, it's just that. We're running through and training. And I don't think we really had any idea what was going to take place, you know, in 1996 and 97, what was going to happen in 2011. But we wanted to prepare and make sure that we were ready if something did. So we were going to the desert. We were training there. We were doing it way before that. Uh, we would go up into Bridgeport, up in uh, northern California, and do the mountain warfare training. And it's really cold, I can tell you. I didn't realize California was that cold until we got there, up in the mountains of California. It's really cold. And then, you know, how the Marine Corps is, we don't really give you any gear, and then they wouldn't let you put your hands in your pockets either. So never, never understood that. I don't know why we even have pockets. But uh, so... We're standing out there freezing our tail off, but just trying to prepare for what was coming up. Same thing, uh, go over to Japan. We've got the northern training area in Okinawa, on one of the islands there, and, uh, you know, Jungle Warfare Training Center. You're going up and you spend weeks in the jungle, and they teach you what kind of bugs to eat and which ones not to eat and all that kind of good stuff, just in case. And I did eat some bugs, but it was, it was all in good fun. But you're trying to prepare and figure out what you can do and, you know, whatever situation may come up. So... I looked into what it, what it takes and how much time a, a Marine would spend, say an infantry Marine, as he enters into training and coming in first into the Marine Corps brand new. And if the Marine, an infantry Marine, when he goes into boot camp, or every Marine when they go into boot camp for that matter, they spend 1,365 hours in training over a 13-week period. And then that infantry Marine, and, and each MOS after that is different, so I just broke it down for one just so you have an idea. That infantry Marine spends another 840 hours uh, over an eight-week period at his MOS school, so ITB or School of Infantry. And if you break that down, that's about 15 hours a day, seven days a week that they spend in training. Once you leave that school, you go into your unit. When you get to, uh, uh, attached to whatever uh, battalion, whatever company you go to, and you spend another approximately 1,800 hours, a little more than that, 1,800 hours on what we consider on-the-job training. So if you add all that up, that's over 4,000 hours that that individual spends in training before they're considered deployable 
before they're even allowed to go into combat. They have to spend 4,000 hours. And if you look at it, put it in perspective, if you work a 40-hour week, five days a week, 40 hours, however you want to add it up, for 52 weeks, that's 2,080 hours in a year that you spend working. So our men and women are preparing twice that amount. They're, they're doubling that amount to get ready to go. And like I said, it's not enough. It really is truly not enough. It's not enough time to get you ready. You know, the, the beginning of it is getting you physically fit and boot camp, and then, you know, you move into the mental aspect of MOS school where they're trying to teach you, you know, your specific skill and what it is you're going to be doing, and then you get to the on-the-job training. And if you ever went through any formal training and got into your company, that's where your boss looks at you and says, forget everything they showed you. Now I'm going to teach you really what to do. And it's kind of the same way. You learn the basics, but then when you get there, you get into the real nitty-gritty of what it is you're supposed to be doing and how to operate. So 2,080 hours for an average work, work, worker and four, over 4,000 hours preparing for battle. So you're asking probably, what, what's your point with all this? Why are you telling me all this? My point is this. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're saved, and if you've accepted Christ in your life, you're in a battle. You've already entered into that battle. The moment that you accepted Christ, you entered into that battle. And you entered into a battle with the devil. And I want to point out, I, want to, I just want to make clear to you that, that your enemy and my enemy this morning is way more dangerous than any enemy we've ever faced as a nation. He's very dangerous. I want you to think about that as we move through and we look into our scripture and as we move forward. This enemy that we're facing is extremely dangerous and we have to be prepared. So let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8 says, be, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. To devour. So Peter here, he's talking, he's sending uh, a letter to the church or talking to the church, and he's talking not only to new Christians or old Christians. He, at the very beginning, I love the title, at the beginning it says, to the elders and the flock. So I think that covers pretty much everybody in here today, does it not? We've got Christians that are older, we've got Christians that are younger, but he's talking to everyone here. He's, he's trying to warn them all. He's trying to say, hey, listen up here. We've got something going on. You need to be aware of what's taking place. There's a danger about around you. It's time to be scared. It really is. There's a time to be nervous, and this is one of them, and he's trying to make, it, make a, a strong point here. So I want to look at some different parts of that first verse of Scripture and then talk about three ways that we can prepare for this battle. You know, I, I was thinking about that when I said, you know, when you entered into that battle. When you entered into that battle as a new Christian, the moment that it took place, the moment that you accepted Christ, the devil started attacking. You know, and, and I was thinking, all right, well, well new Christians, what, what are they up against? Well, a new Christian's up against his, his friends, his old buddies. I mean, think about that moment when you were saved. I remember being in, uh, I, I got saved in, a, in a, a Greenville Memorial Hospital and the neonatal intensive care unit in one of the waiting rooms there. My son had just been born. He was, uh, a little, he was about four weeks early. A little tiny thing was in the intensive care unit. And I remembered a message that a pastor had preached one time, and I called him on the phone, and I accepted Christ right there in the hospital. And I remember being so excited. And then, you know, going and telling my wife and, and thinking about all the things that was going to take, take place and, that, you know, how my life was going to change and all this kind of stuff. And then, not long after that, I started thinking, oh, man, how am I going to tell everybody? What about my buddies? What are they going to think? And I'm sure you all went through that same moment. That new Christian, you've got those immediate battles that take place. But then you've got your church. You've got everybody praying for you. You've got everybody kind of rooting for you and calling you and checking on you and making sure everything's okay. You know, I had that, and that was great. I needed that. But as time went on, those phone calls started to fade away. 
And as time went on, all those friends started to fade away as well. And now I'm faced with this thing by myself with just my immediate family, my wife and, and my two small children. And I'm thinking, you know, well, well, what now? So it made me think, you know, who, who are we concerned about here? Should we be more concerned about the new Christian? Or are we more concerned about the old Christian? And I think we have to realize here that, that the devil, first of all and foremost, we know the devil's after both. He doesn't uh, differentiate. He doesn't care. He wants both. But I think sometimes that older Christian, the Christian that's been saved for a while and been trying to serve the Lord for a while, probably gets the raw end of the deal. He may not or she may not have as many people praying for him or her. And then there's a little thing called complacency that sets in. And complacency kills. I put it right here in red letters and highlighted it. Complacency kills. And we had on our walls over in Iraq, we found some spray paint. And we weren't the only unit to do it. I, I saw it everywhere. And we ended up carrying little cards in our pockets and everything that had complacency kills wrote on it. We had it spray painted on the wall. So every time we got ready to step out to go on a patrol or got ready to do anything, we saw it. Because even though, believe it or not, you would think, hey, I'm stepping out on this patrol and I know somebody's going to be shooting at me and you know, bad things could happen. And even though bad things had already happened, you, you tend to get complacent. You first, I'll never forget, I'll never forget as long as I live. The very first patrol I went on in a vehicle in Iraq. We had watched thousands of hours of videos about IEDs and what they look like. What to look for. Trash piles on the road. Dirt mounds on the side of the road. All these things could be an IED. And I'm going to tell you what. Within the first 100 feet of the gate from the little base I was in, there was about 4,000 piles of trash and another 4,000 dirt piles on the left. And I was thinking to myself, I'm never getting out of here. Everything around me is a stinking IED. I was scared to death. And I remember sitting in the, we called it a left seat, right seat, because it's literally that. I'm sitting in the left seat of a Humvee in the back, and the guys that have been there for a while that I was replacing, they were in the right seat. And we're driving down the street, and they're trying to give me all this advice on what to look for and what not to look for and all these kinds of things. And I remember sitting in that seat just, like, honestly petrified. And these guys are laughing and telling jokes and, like, just goofing off like, like, like we were going to Walmart. And I'm like, what? I, did, I couldn't make the connection. I'm like, what's going on here? Why, why am I this way? But they, see, it had already set in with them. They had been there a while. They had gotten used to it. They would gotten complacent. And I'm afraid a lot of times as Christians, we kind of just get used to it. We get used to coming to church on Sunday morning. And we just come. And then we come in and we hang out for a while and we listen to some good music. And the preacher gets up and gives, gives us our message and then we go home. We've gotten complacent. And then throughout the week... I'm not saying that God never crosses our mind, but is he always on our mind? Is he our focus? You know, we're moving throughout the week, and we've gotten so fast when we're moving along that we've become complacent. We're not paying attention to the dirt piles anymore. We're not paying attention to what's going on around us. Well, those dirt piles here and what's going on around us is the devil, and he's everywhere, and he's trying to find you, and he's trying to get you. So let's look here. Not only should we not be complacent, but we've got to look. We've got to be vigilant. Peter's warning us here. He's telling us to be alert and be of sober mind. I looked up sober in the dictionary, and, you know, we all come, sober comes to mind in many ways with us, but one of the actual definitions for sober was be serious and be ready. So now he's telling us, be alert, be ready, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion. He's trying to find us. You know, the King James Version says for us to be vigilant. Vigilant means to be keenly watchful, to detect danger, to be wary, ever awake and alert, sleeplessly watchful, always, always watchful. You know, I, 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 the word watchful, being on watch, thinking back to those times, sitting outside at night, sitting out maybe on a rooftop 
in a building in Iraq, just kind of looking and listening, trying to figure out what's going on around you, being watchful. You know, we have a, 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 a method that we use. Anytime we step outside the wire on patrol, we, it's just simply called seals. It's just sit, look, listen. All right? We want to step outside there. You want to stop what you're doing. You want to sit for a while. You want to look around you. You want to listen. You want to try to take in what's going on around you and figure it out. You know, we get so fast. We get so fast-paced in this world today, we no longer look. We're not listening. We're not trying to get those senses about us anymore. We're just moving from A to B, from one place to another, trying to get through the hustle and bustle of life, not realizing that we're running right past the devil all day, every day. He's all around us, everywhere we go. And then we, we look at the example he used here of what the devil is, what he's trying to, who, who's attacking us here. And I think we've done such a horrible job of taking the devil and turning him into a cartoon character. He's the little guy with a pitchfork with horns on his head and a tail. The devil's not a cartoon. Peter explains him here as a, as a, as a lion, as a roaring lion, prowling. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine if a lion came in this room right now? How would you react? What if a lion walked into your living room in the evening? Would you sit on the couch and watch him? Or would you get up and run like crazy? Well, I'm here to tell you, you, you turn the TV on at night and let a lion loose in your living room all the time. All the time. The devil's there. He's the lion. He's trying to tear you down. He's trying to get you. You know, I was thinking about National Geographic. I'm sure you've all seen it. We've all watched it. We've watched the lion as he attacks, as he prays, as he gets loose uh, after the antelope. You know, does he, I said this in the morning service, kind of in a joking way, but, you know, does, does the lion stroll up to the antelope group and say, hey, I'm hungry. Who's it going to be? Or does he creep down through the grass where you can't see him and he's creeping and he's crawling and he's staying low to the last minute? And when he sees a weakness, he pounces. And he tears that antelope to shreds. And then all the other ones rush in and help him out and just destroy it. And not only does he attack from nowhere and come out of the darkness and out of the grass and get you, but most of the time, just about all the time, the lion gets the weak link. He finds the antelope with the busted leg or the small one, the one that can't fight back. And that's the antelope he goes after. Well, I'm telling you, if a devil walks in a room of Christians, who do you think he's going to pick out? Is he going to go for the one that's in the Bible all day, every day? Is he going to go for the one that's living for the Lord? Or is he going to go for the Christian that's got God, God kind of on his mind? Is he going to look for that weakest link? He's going to take that easiest, easiest path. That's how it is. That's how it works. I just want to point out, I want to focus here for a minute. I want you to understand that this is a real battle. This is a battle, this is not only a battle for country, for soul, for oil rights, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever reason we do these things we do as a nation. It's not a fight for that. This is a fight for your life. This is a fight for your family's life. This is a fight for your spirituality. This is a fight for your testimony. This is a fight for your, your name, your, your Christianity. This is a fight for you. This is the biggest fight of your life. It's the most serious fight of your life. So thinking on that for a moment, this being the most serious battle you're ever going to face, and thinking back to the numbers that I gave you about those men and women that are preparing for, for, for the fight, 4,000 hours a year, or 4,000 hours over however long of a period of time it takes for them before they're considered deployable. i got to ask the question, 
How many hours are you putting into this preparation for this fire? Which one's more serious? Is it the battle for Iraq or Afghanistan? Or is it the battle for your soul? We've got to put the time in. It's important. We've got to have it. How do we do it? I came up with three P's. Prayer, people, and power. If we look at prayer, we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Two words, pray always. Pray always. It doesn't say pray when you're sick. It doesn't say pray when you're hurt, when you're broke, when you need something. It says pray always. Pray in the good times. Pray in the bad times. I used to use an acronym in my old Sunday school class called PUSH. I don't remember where I saw it, but I came across it somewhere. And all it simply means is pray until something happens. You know, I remember teaching the men's group in Sunday school, and we, week after week, would come up. We would sit down at the very beginning, hey, who, who, who do we need to pray for? Who's got a prayer request? And we'd go around the room. And I, I'm ashamed to say that 99% of the time, we would pray as a group in our Sunday school class, and then we would leave there, and that person's name probably never got called again because we got busy with other things and we moved on. But then for some reason, I, it just came to me. I said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put this acronym on the board and we're going to write names up there. So we went around the room one Sunday morning, and we each put a name on the board. Some of us put two or three, but we, we at least one person put a name out of everybody in the group on the board. And we wrote those names down, and one of the guys, he printed them out, and he gave it to us, and we took them home. And we kept praying, and we kept praying, and we kept praying. And we, we just simply prayed until something happened, just like it said. And I'm telling you guys, it was amazing. And it was, it, I, I'm getting goosebumps up here telling you about it right now. I'll never forget it. It was just a few weeks went by, and we started taking names off that list. We started lining them out. We started erasing them. Some of them started showing up to church. It was really awesome. We prayed until something happens. Instead of praying once and forgetting about it, we just kept pushing. We prayed until something happens. Prayer is our line of communication with God. We all know that. How can we, how can we think that we can win a battle without lines of communication with Christ. You know, you relate it back to the battlefield. There's no way that you can maneuver around the battlefield without clear lines of communication. And I can tell you that 99% of the time, when something happens, when something breaks down, when something goes wrong with the battlefield, it's because your communication went down first. People are moving left and right. Things get chaotic. You're running all over the place. You're not sure who's going where or what's taking place. Unfortunately, bad things start happening, friendly fire takes place, all that kind of stuff. All those things that you hear about in the news where friendly fire happened, it's because communication broke down, I promise you. Somebody went where they weren't supposed to be without getting permission to go there. Somebody did something that they were not supposed to do without getting clear lines of communication from higher on what they were doing. They didn't have direction. They didn't have order in their chaos. And the same thing applies here. We get in that fight with the devil. We get tied up in that fight. We've got to look higher. We've got to, things are chaotic. Think about a time in your life when the devil's attacked you. Is it easy? Are things normal? Or does things, do things get crazy at your house? I can tell you what happens at mine. I've got a wife and a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, and, th- and things get crazy at my house. You know, And I've tried many, many times to fix it myself. And guess what happened? It went completely wrong. It went way worse. But I finally realized, hey, if, if you want to fix this thing, you, you've got to do one thing. First, you've got to do a few things. You've got to stop, realize that you ain't going to do anything. You're not going to fix it. You've got to get down on your knees 
and you got to pick up the radio. And you got to call God and you got to say, hey, what's next? Where do I go? You got to get those clear lines of communication. It's, it's key in battle. You got to have it. You know, I remember one time there, uh, we, to give you a little more of an idea, we, we have these things called AAVs or Amtraks. It's in, you've probably seen them on the TV, but it's a big, looks kind of like a tank. It's got tracks that can go in the water. It's really cool, except for the fact that it's extremely hot and the diesel exhaust fumes blow inside of it and it chokes you half to death. And I don't do well in water in tight spaces, so I didn't like it. But it's a good way to travel because they're heavily armored and, uh, and they can take a lot of damage. So we planned an operation. We're sitting around a table in an old house somewhere, somebody's house that we had taken over, and we're planning an operation. We load up. I load my, my platoon up in, uh, in the Amtrak, and we take off. Now, keep in mind, I'm not driving. I'm in the back. I'm going where these guys are taking me. They're supposed to be taking me where I told them to go. But we get out, and we ride for a few hours, and the ramp drops. We come out the back. We secure our area. The ramps go up, and the AEVs drive away. Well, we start looking for certain areas on the ground that we had mapped out where we wanted to be, and they weren't there. And we start looking some more, and we can't find them. And then we quickly realized that uh, we were about 10,000 meters away from where we were supposed to be. They had taken us in the wrong direction. They had got the wrong communication across a headset through a radio with somebody else from a different unit where they were supposed to be dropping those guys, and they completely rerouted without talking to us and took us there. And I can tell you, man, when we got on the ground, when that ramp went up and those guys drove away, that was our only means of transportation. We were over what we call 30 clicks or 30,000 kilometers away from the battalion or any kind of support from what we could tell on the map, and we were all alone. And I rode down lost and helpless is the way we felt. In the middle of the night, in the middle of a country, we had no idea where we were at. We were lost and helpless because communication got crossed. And I can tell you from my personal Christian perspective, from my life, from, the, from times I've had in my life, that, that when those lines of communication got crossed between me and God, I ended up going places where I wasn't supposed to be. And I ended up getting left some places where I wasn't supposed to be. And all my support around me was gone. And I felt lost and helpless, just like I did that night. But luckily, we had no way of communicating with those guys. We couldn't get them back out there to us. We just had to deal with our situation. But luckily and thankfully, we can always, always, always get communication with God. Anytime we try, anytime we pick up the phone, he's there. Every time. So communication is key. The next one is people. Simply put, there's strength in numbers. All the training I told you about, all the hours that you spend in, in developing your skills, none of it is alone. None of it is, is uh, geared toward you, the individual. It's all geared toward the team. And the way it works in an infantry platoon is you start at the basis. You start with a, what's called a fire team, and that's you and three other guys. And you and that team become one. You get to know each other. You know everything about each other. And then that team, there's three fire teams in a squad and three squads in a platoon, three platoons in a company, and it just continues to build that way. But the way that works is, is you build those strengths and those numbers together. I can't imagine walking down the streets of Iraq or walking into any type of battle like that on my own. You know, I felt, honestly, I, I'll tell you, and I don't, I don't mean this to brag, I felt strong, I felt powerful over there only because of who I had around me. If I would have been there by myself, I'd been looking for the first plane out of that place, I can tell you. I felt strong because I had confidence in who was there with me. I had confidence in my team. I had confidence in my other Marines because we had worked hard, we had trained hard, 
We had done everything together. We knew everything about each other. I knew their weaknesses. They knew not mine. So that when things went wrong, I didn't have to ask questions. They already knew. I already knew. We were there to support each other. You've got to have that in your Christian life. You have to. Again, this, this is no regular battle we're fighting. This is no normal enemy. This is the devil we're talking about. Get that cartoon out of your mind and think of that lion again. The lion entered this room. You know, some people are going to get hurt. Some are going to get lost. But with the numbers we got here this morning, we could overtake him. We could eventually get him, am I right? Same thing in our Christian lives. I hate to say it. Some are going to get lost. Some are going to go by the wayside. But as a group, as a, together, as Christians, we can, we can win this fight. With the help of God, we can win this fight. And then when we win that battle, it's our responsibility and our duty to go get those ones that are lost and pull them back into us, to bring them back into the fold. We have to have strength in numbers. We have to have each other. In the Marine Corps, we call them battle buddies. You don't go anywhere without your battle buddy. You don't do anything without your battle buddy. He's your best friend, and you're his. And you may not always like each other, but you learn to respect each other. And you learn to love each other, whether you like each other or not. You know, I've, I've found that there's two places where I've learned the most about people. One is when they're in need, a time of need in their life, and the other one's in a fighting hole in the middle of the night sitting in the woods somewhere. There's nothing else to do but to get to know each other. So if I could, if I could say to you, find, find that friend, find that battle buddy, and go find a fighting hole to get in with each other. Don't wait until that time of need when you have to figure out what's wrong. When you have to figure out how you can help them. Go find that place, whether it's uh, your living room or riding down the road or a, a duck blind. That's one of my favorites. And find that place where you can sit and you can get to know that person and they can get to know you and you can learn how you can help each other and support each other. Find out what you can do to help each other. Find out how you can be that person's battle buddy. But always remember that as much as you know and as much as you try and as much as you pray, it takes God to win this thing. Don't ever lose sight of that. The last P is power. If we look at Ephesians 6.11, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So how do we put that on? How do we put that armor on? It's simply God's word. Not only do we have to pray, not only do we have to have strength in numbers or people around us, we have to read his word. We have to know his word. We have to know how to not only read it but apply it to our lives. You know, I, I, I put here in my notes, it's the single greatest plan ever put together. And it simply is. I, I've read a lot of books by, about Alexander the Great, and there's a, a, a general, a Chinese general named Sun Tzu. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Kind of crazy, but he was a, a master tactician. And, and probably the majority of what we use today as far as tactics are concerned came from him. Uh, and he, he was just masterful at what he did. And I, I've really read a lot of his stuff and just kind of, uh, looked at how he applied it to life and how he applied it to the battlefield. And it's actually, it's required reading in the Marine Corps. You have to read it. But uh, there's no plan like God's plan. You know, Sun Tzu lost battles. Alexander the Great ended up losing his empire. Uh, there's a little fellow named Napoleon that almost conquered all of Europe. But he eventually lost because he had a flawed plan. But God's plan is victorious. There's no flaws in it. So we talk about the armor. You know, all the tools we're ever going to need, everything you're ever, it's ever going to take for you to win this fight, you can find in God's Word. 
you know, as a, as a society, as, a, as human beings, think of all the weaponry that we've came up with, from bombs to guns to you name it. We've done everything, and the, the majority of modern technology, believe it or not, has came out of conflict. It's came out of wars. That's where most of our stuff comes from that we, that we use today is from conflict and from wars. The technology that we use on a day-to-day basis uh, has come from conflict. But we've created a whole bunch of stuff to destroy. We've never created anything to lift up and to restore. God restores. He wins the victory. We continue to destroy and we lose the, we lose the battle. But God's going to win the battle. You know, we, uh, when we first got to Iraq, we had flight jackets and sappy plates. And some of the older veterans in the room and some of you in here know what I'm talking about. But before Iraq and Afghanistan, you just kind of you just wore your uniform. You had what was called deuce gear, and it was just those little straps that went around you and kind of held your magazines in, so you had some ammo, maybe some canteens of water. But when we got over there, we started realizing, hey, uh, you know, with, with uh, the, the invent of IEDs or the use of IEDs against us, they'd been used forever, but not against us, with uh, all these explosions and stuff, we had to come up with better ways of saving lives. Well, we came up with sappy plates, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you've ever put a flight jacket on with sappy plates, it is horrible. It's about an extra 50 stinking pounds or something to wear. And you got to wear it around. And there's many times you just want to take it off. You're like, hey, I don't need this. I'd be much faster without it. I could fight way better without it. And then you see somebody get hit in the chest with a 7.62 round, and it knocks them down. And you go over there and pick them up, and you're like, man, I bet that hurt. And they're like, yeah, it did. But they're still alive. They're still here to tell the tale, and they're still here to talk about it. You know, we've invented all these things. We've, we've got this body armor. We've got this stuff that we can use to help save our lives. But... We're still vulnerable. You know, it only covers pretty much your torso. There's no, we don't have any type of armor for, the, for our head. There's nothing for our limbs. That's why you see so many amputees and stuff coming back from the wars today. We've, we've not come up with anything to protect the whole body. But I can give you specific moments of times in Iraq where things happened around me and nothing happened to me. Because you see, when I read this, when I see about that whole armor of God, for me, it's not only talking about spiritual armor. It's not only talking about my soul, but for me it's always been a very literal, very real thing that's actually protecting my life. And he's done it on more than one occasion. We have to learn to apply it, though. We have to get in his word. We have to use that whole armor of God. And if we'll study and if we'll learn and we'll do the things he asks us to do, then he will protect us. He will help us. You know, unfortunately, we live uh, in a time that's very busy. Now, I'm sure I'm just like all the rest of you. I, uh, like Ronnie said, I run a nonprofit. Um, there's nothing more time-consuming, I don't think, than running a nonprofit. Uh, it's uh, all-encompassing. You know, even when I'm off, I'm thinking about it, trying to figure out how to make it better. I'm also a full-time student uh, at Liberty University, and I'm a dad, and I'm a husband. And I've got all these things going on, and I'm not explaining anything to you that you don't already uh, witness in your life and things that you are not going, got going on. So I'm ashamed to say that a lot of times God starts up here in the morning, and then he continues to get knocked down the shelf or knocked down the road until the end of the day. And there's many nights where we sit to try to do our devotional as a family. You know, we're like, man, it's bedtime. It's time to get the kids ready for school. We still haven't done our devotional. Well, let's knock it out real quick. I've caught myself saying that in front of my children. That's embarrassing. Let's get this devotional done real fast so you guys can get in bed. What does that tell them? What kind of focus am I putting on that with my family? That's completely backwards. We can't be too busy. 
None of these things are going to work if we don't apply them correctly. The power, the prayer, the people, we have to apply them all correctly, and it has to be first in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The great thing about this all, guys, is this. We already know we're going to win. We already know we're going to be victorious. God tells us. We just have to do the things he asks us to do. We have to follow as a plan. We have to know that we're doing what God wants us to do. So I wanted to challenge you. I wanted to really ask you a question. And it's this. How would you prepare if ISIS was on the way to your house today? What if we're sitting here this morning and phones start going off, people start getting messages, and it's the news bulletins coming across from Channel 4, and it says, ISIS has invaded America. And they've taken out our military, and they're coming into our small towns. And we leave this place, and we know it's just a matter of days before they get here. How would you prepare? Would you go home and spend a couple hours a day trying to figure out what you would do? Or would it be on your every waking thought? Would it be everything that you focused on and everything that you do? Would it be preparing on trying to save your life and your family's life? Try to keep them from capturing you and doing who knows what? Well, that, that, that enemy is on its way. If it's not already at your door, it's on its way to your door. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian and you haven't faced struggles, be thankful first of all and thank God for it, but be prepared and be ready because it's coming. So start getting ready now. Prepare yourself. Spend the hours that it takes and the time that it takes to get yourself ready before the devil attacks and before he comes knocking on your door. I want to read the rest of uh, chapter 5, or a couple more verses, 9 through 11 there. If you look at it, it says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We're not in this alone. We're all going through this together. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, it doesn't matter if you're here in Wahala or if you're in California or if you're over in the Middle East. We're all going through this together. All we have to do is we have to resist, we have to stand fast, and we have to prepare and be ready because the Bible assures us and it tells us that if we'll just do that, God's coming. He's going to restore us. He's going to save us. He's going to take us all home. Just pray with me. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity you've given me, Lord. I pray that these words will ring true to people. I pray, God, that they will take it seriously. I pray most of all, Lord, that if there's someone here that's not preparing the way they should, God, if, if, if they're not giving the time that's deserved to you, Lord, I pray that they'll just take it seriously and they'll start to do so. I pray, God, that you'll let everyone in here know and understand that how serious the devil is and how much he's trying to tear us apart and tear our families apart and destroy our Christian lives and destroy our ter- testimonies and destroy our churches. God, it's, it's evident all around us that, that God, that the devil's winning in a lot of places. He's winning in a lot of lives. Lord, I pray that you just help us start right here with each other, with ourselves, and start fighting back, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll help us to do these things and keep us ever on your mind. Throughout the week, Lord. Amen.
You're dismissed.